So you're on 2XX on Behind the Lines with Scotty and Annie and Joe, um, And we're continuing with the, f- the theme of food. Um, but Scotty's going to talk about a project that he's involved in, which is really interesting project about... It's really urban farming, isn't it, Scotty? Well, it is urban farming, but it's more than that. It's, it's more than that. Um, I guess to start with, Perhaps I should uh, sort of introduce... I'm taking off my behind-the-lines hat now and I'm, I'm putting on the, the Cooperatives, Commons and Communities or Co-Canberra hat. Now, this is a group we've been going since the end of 2016 um, and actually provide all of our needs while being good for planet and good for people. Um, so the obvious business model to get stuff done that we can't do through Commons and Community is the, the cooperative business model and this is one of our cooperatives... Um, that's focused on on food supply and localism. Um, so I don't know. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's well, tell us more. Tell us more. All <laughs> right. Well, I guess we've been holding a few meetings. This has been uh, been going since oh early twenty nineteen. No, since twenty eighteen actually. This this idea has been kicking around and. There was a, a Karula farm out the other side of Bungendore and Penny and Paul Koth were out there um, and they were cranking around in the community, building up Southern Harvest, which is like a farmer's network out there and doing a whole lot of permaculture stuff and really involved in the community and they were building the farm into an education hub and all sorts of stuff and they were absolutely flat chat the whole time and they went on holidays and went, oh, this is actually pretty nice. We're going to stay on holidays. So, <laughs> so, I mean, I say holidays, but they're, they're actually getting around out of, around um, around the place, helping out farmers um, with drought stuff, and now a whole lot of fire and everything. I think Penny's now joined up with Oricoop, uh, the Organic and Regenerative Investment Co-op, to uh, to help out organic farms, and she'll actually be on next week. I think uh, having a yarn with us among with a whole flock of other people who've been helping out after the fires. Um, so that was a bit of a shock to the community because here's this, this mainstay, real busy. You know mm. those people, mm. you know. If you want something done, you ask someone busy and they'll get it done. Mm. Um, so one of these people and a farm, a brilliant budding farm that was just starting to come into, into real its own, um, just disappeared off the scene and mm. everyone went, oh, oh, geez. We're, we're actually really quite vulnerable. Maybe we can buy the farm. Let's buy the farm. Let's get together as a community and buy the farm. But, if, you know, it was on the market. It was too late. But we, we explored after that what happens next time, you know. How mm. does the succession of, of good organic or regenerative farm that's, you know, you've spent 10, 20 years building the carbon up in the soil and if a horse person comes and runs horses on there and just feeds them a whole lot of hay go and have a look at a horse paddock and there's no carbon left in that soil mm. there's sort of rock and dust because it's just so overstocked because people feed their horses mm. it's the classic example of land degradation so here's all your soil you've spent years putting the carbon in there and that's sequestering the carbon as well how do we keep it in there how do we use that productive fertile beautiful living soil into perpetuity so we went, all right, okay, well, maybe we could own it in common. Maybe the customers and the farmers could own the land. Um, and that way it would be held in trust by the co-op um, and, and it would never need to be sold because if a farmer got 
tired of doing what they were doing, you just pop another farmer on there. And that's a very similar model to what the Ori Co-op is doing um, throughout Australia, um, but different as well. Uh, <laughs> so that was the germ of the idea, and we ran a bunch of um, consultations with whoever turned up, really, um, and we figured out a whole lot of, of um, I don't know, what do you call them? Just um, intentions, I guess. What, what do we want? What would an ideal co-op provide for me and for the community? And we came up with a little list. Um, so um, it was to provide affordable access to good food for everybody. It's to provide a stable and secure and attractive living for farmers. Um, it's to provide food sovereignty through local food production and community ownership of productive land. And it's healing the earth, and this is the soil carbon and the water cycle building stuff of organic and regenerative farming. So it's caring for the land and, and normalising this within mainstream food production as well, proving that it can be done on a, on a scale. Um, it's connecting people with the sources of their food, and I guess your your example, Joe, of choice paralysis in the supermarket, mm. which kicked you down this whole line, was a real case of disconnection. We've mm -hmm. got multiple different supply chains all with corporations who don't want to be transparent and uh, it's very difficult to know where that food came from mm. there's no way to know the name of the bloke who grew that grain you know um, and to contribute to the broader community as well now this is common through co-cambra's co-ops in all the various sectors we do want to make a surplus of money and we want to contribute that back into the community to keep things moving Mm. You look at nature, that everything's always producing stuff. And you could look at it like our surplus, our surplus money is like an animal in nature doing a poo. Yep. So <laughs> That's a new perspective. That's for right. Me. But, but what happens to that poo? It feeds things. It, it's yeah, great for the yeah. plants, you know. Yeah. The, the little gliders, they'll climb up to the top of the tree fern and they'll, they'll camp in there and poo in it and fertilise it. Um, you know, it's, it's a result of something good. They ate this great stuff. They've used a fair bit of it and they pass a bit on. Uh, and that's a good way to look at money, like poo, I think. I'm going to tell my grandchildren that. Oh, no. <laughs> They're going to find that totally hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, humour's humor's good. Yeah. Um, so contributing to the broader community by spreading the, the wealth around and keeping it within the community and cycling within the community. Um, and that's been proven many, many times overseas to be a really good model to to kickstart your community. In, um, oh, I think it might have been Austria or Germany, they did stamp script money um, in the Great Depression um, where they just created their own local currency and, mm. you know, there was a few little tricks and it was just, mm. just right and it really got these two towns that did it absolutely booming mm. um, and then the federal government stepped in and went, no, you can't do that. And they went back to being poverty-stricken. <laughs> well, well, it's interesting you raise that because we've had, um, in Australia, we've had LETS, local energy transfer system, system yeah. like on the north coast of New South Wales. I know that was there. Here we had Cubies. There was Queen the Queen Bean and one, yeah, yeah. one. So we've had a few attempts at that system of creating a, another currency. And I think... In both those examples, it did become an issue around tax wasn't being paid. And so I don't know if that caused those systems to die or if they just evolved away or if they still exist. I, 
Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of let systems around, but mm. this was slightly different in that it was a municipal model. It was the local mm. government oh, who okay. produced the yeah, money yeah, and spread fantastic. it around. And they did yeah. it deliberately to kickstart mm. things and just get the, the, mm. the energy flowing around. Mm. Like, you know, they're just producing a whole lot of poo and putting it into the ecosystem. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, so that's, that's the idea of contributing to the broader community through spreading our surplus around and, and mm. getting, getting things kickstarted. Um, we want to establish and practice a regenerative culture as well. Now, when we came up with this, the regenerative culture word wasn't around, but uh, it seems to fit <laughs> quite well. I'm glad somebody came up with it. But if you look at our culture, it's it's been it's been shaped and it's been formed over centuries of, of people, well, of our leaders, our elites, doing what they do. You know, kings being kings and captains of industry being captains of industry and mm. both of them working together to make the legal system and all the customs and everybody wants to act like the king so it's just all this social stuff and then you add in tv with all of that ah oh, <laughs> i could go on for a long time here, history but, of the um, world in two minutes yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what it's resulted in is is a really competitive culture where cooperation is unknown you go into our school system and it's uh it's you know it's good at what it does, but it trains us up for work. Um, if you go into an alternative school system, you might have the kids running the school and the kids might be running little businesses to fund the school and they will be learning completely different things in, in a social sense and in, and in a learning sense that they then have a context for everything. And I went through one of these schools and that's sort of how I wound up like this, I think. But... Um, but yeah, it's you have to live it to learn it. It's it's really different, and it's yeah, it's very difficult to explain regenerative culture. But mm. anybody who's done it goes, oh yeah, I know what you mean. Um, so you know, maybe we'll have to invent some new words or come up with some really good stories for that yeah, one. But unfortunately, I haven't done it yet. But it's a way of doing things. There are holacracy, sociocracy, other ways of doing it through either communities or businesses and there are a number of things that have been emerging out of the uh, the whole um, the whole tech crew um, yeah it's hmm. interesting you say that Scotty I've just come across this concept that isn't socialism and isn't capitalism and it's a bit like the sharing economies and I didn't realize Tim Hollow in the Greens was explaining this idea to me and everything he said I'm like oh yeah we did that oh yeah we're doing that oh yeah we're doing that <laughs> I've actually tried to explain money to my child and she doesn't really quite understand the concept because mm. we tend to get everything for free and then we give everything away for free <laughs> so I think and I'm I'm in startups and too I think I think this is a way I think a lot of People are moving in this direction, but we don't really have the words to put on it yet. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah, it's true. So that's one, and I guess the last one is to educate ourselves and others. And we've got to enact the, these intentions into the co-op design and, and then demonstrate that it's feasible and help it replicate elsewhere because mm. it's another natural pattern is too big to succeed. Mm. Things grow and then they stop growing, you know. Mm. Um so, yeah, a replication model rather than a, a great big model is another mm. way we're going. So they're the intentions of this particular co-op. Um, and we've come up with a, a proposal. And what we want to do is rather than put it together as a really detailed proposal, what we're going to do on Monday is just talk about the major ingredients, the, those parts that are, um, that are really key to it all. Um, 
I do have them here somewhere, but yeah, yeah. What sort of food do you think they'll grow? Well, um, let me talk first then about the enterprise stacking model. Now, um, those who are in the uh, the lunatic farming community uh, would know about the, the world's head lunatic farmer, Joel Salatin from the United yeah. States. Um, and he has developed a really interesting uh, enterprise stacking model for all of the people who come through his farm learning how to farm. Mm. And what they've wound up doing is is not through employment but through mutual relationships um they've been able to fill every niche that comes up Mm. so they started with their family farm and then they were having a whole lot of people come through and then they thought it would be really nice to actually eat together wouldn't it so Mm. does any one of you guys coming through want to start a market garden and does anyone want to be a chef and does anyone want to you know so that all happened and those people created their own employment out of this and they worked out between themselves what was a fair price for the exchange and mm. the thing just got bigger and then they started leasing farms and they're doing mobile stuff because they don't own the farm you've got mobile chicken sheds mobile mm. electric fences so that if the lease fails then yeah you've got to leave the soil behind but um, all of the other infrastructure can just move on to a new one and we've decided that that is really a good model mm-hmm. um, in the way that it's going to um, provide a stable, secure and attractive living for farmers. So if you've got an idea in your head, oh, look, I really want to do garlic. At the moment, you have to go, right, well, I don't have any money, so I'll have to try and find somewhere to lease and then I'll be leasing that land from the start so that I've got to make money straight away. But garlic takes nine months to grow, so I won't actually have any money to pay the lease for nine Oh, so that's looking hard and then I'll have to feed myself in the meantime and I still won't have it. oh jeez so it just gets harder and harder for people to enter partly because of the land barrier I think largely because of the mm-hmm. land barrier but also because of the income it takes a while to produce an income from farming mm. so we're going to actually start the farm with business people, <laughs> with people who know accounting, with people who know how to how to run a business. So the people who, and and of course landowners who will be involved. And at the we're going to start with leasing. There's that Brooks Valley farm that I was talking about, the off grid one. Um, that's one of the places we're going to lease. And then there's another place out at uh, at Rossi, out the back of Bungendore. Um, and they're very complementary places. One's quite good for intensive market gardening sort of stuff, and the other one's more for orchardy grazing sort of stuff. Mm. Um, but they're both completely on board. Um, so we've got the land there. That's under will be under agreement when we work out what those are. Um, so the garlic grower can come to us and say, "Look, I'd, I'd like a bit of a hand starting up my garlic business." We go, "Yep, yeah, no worries." So we'll, we'll create an accounting line for you. Um, we'll introduce you to the farmer over here. This farmer's very friendly. He's quite happy for you to use an acre of garlic out the back here. And, um, you know, what you will be doing to pay the farmer is you'll give the farmer a percentage of your profits. So you actually don't pay your rent until you've produced something and have sold it and made money. Um, you'll have to look after your own food, but, you know, maybe you can grow a little bit of tucker on the side next yeah. to your garlic and that'll help cut your food bills down. Um, yeah. Uh, so 
in that way it's providing a really interesting entry and of course once we're going we'll have a whole ecosystem like they do at the Salatin farm mm. uh, polyface farms is what it's called it's worth looking up on the net um, and Joel Salatin's a fantastic speaker he's so funny so definitely get into those there's this one called stacking fiefdoms and there's another one called successional success fields of farmers and they're both through Diego Diego whose name I can't remember but he does a lot of permaculture stuff mm. and, and those are real crackers um, so Scotty um, um, the co-op that you're that you and others are setting up is it the plan is the focus of it Canberra so it's like are you focusing on trying to get different farming cooperative type things happening around Canberra that will provide um, a food supply for Canberra in the long term? Is, is that the goal of, of I misunderstood? Yeah, look, I reckon regional sufficiency is a good aim. We're never going to be able to grow pawpaws and things like that Darn. here. I certainly, <laughs> certainly hope not. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. Yeah. actually. But if we can, if we can produce. Mm. enough mm. to keep ourselves going, that's going to be a really good thing because, you know, we've been talking about the uh, the climate problem with the carbon, but there's also, you know, peak oil is another mm. thing that's coming up pretty quick if it hasn't already passed us by and fuel's just going to get more expensive from this point if we're using fossil fuels mm. and that could have serious impacts too on, on the availability of food. Um, so if your food is within within electric van distance hmm. to a place where it's a farm which is producing its own electricity, you've got a pretty much guaranteed food supply there, mm. which is nearby, um, instead of a, a massive supply chain with a whole lot of links in between, which is working on a just-in-time sort of delivery basis, which is really vulnerable to, to the, the lack of, of fossil fuels. And I think our reserves of fossil fuels don't last a whole lot of days. No, it's not very long, is it? There's been a fair bit of discussion about that and the fact that we import most of our oil too. So it always seems to me, often when I'm on social media, um, people will be slag off renewables. And, you know, I always wonder, well, have you thought about where the oil's coming from? You know, it's coming mm -hmm. from the Middle East, mm. Australia's oil. Are you really happy about that? It's coming from the Middle East, going to Asia, being refined there. Yes, we're, we're yeah, really check out the House of Saud. Yeah. <laughs> not, not pretty. Yeah. Anyway, so... Yep, yep. Um, so a, a couple of the other things, and I'll have to go through these probably a little quicker to get through them all. Mm. Um, so I mentioned that the customers and the, and the farmers were going to own the co-op, and this is a, a typical sort of thing in co-ops, that usually your co-op might be sort of a single sort of category of owner, like in the, uh, the ANU food co-op down there. Um, that's the customers who own the co-op and they use the co-op to provide for their need of getting the food that they particularly want in at mm. a reasonable price. Mm. Um, or you might have things like the rural store down at, um, well, there was one down at Cabago, but um, they um, that's a bunch of farmers getting together again to get stuff in, their supplies and things, and also often it's to, to sell their stuff as well. Uh, and the biggest co-op in Australia is over in WA. It's Cooperative Bulk Handling, I think. I hope I've got that right. But they're huge. They're like billions of dollars. They've got railway lines and massive silos and port facilities and stuff. But that's a cooperative that's owned by the farmers. Mm. Um, so these things can go as big as you want. You know, It's just mm -hmm. a different form 
a different way of imagining how things work. Well, we did have a lot of farming co-ops in Australia up until fairly recently. You know. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that comes back to this education. What happens over time with these co-ops is that the conditions that made people come together for protection, essentially, and, and for just providing for their needs, those conditions disappear with the cycles of capitalism going up and down. So in scarce times, it's another pattern of nature, in scarce times, people cooperate and generally in the natural community, cooperation is for times of scarce. But in times of plenty, competition ramps up and it's a lot more, um, a lot more prevalent. And that happens with us too. So in times of plenty, there'll be a lot of, uh, a lot of businesses, there'll be a lot of competition, all of this stuff. But co-ops tend to flourish when times are bad and there is times of scarcity. Um, so as the generations go and that experience is lost... People, we have to relearn it forget, all over again. Well, but yeah. we don't because mm. you've got to live it to learn it. Mm. So unless we're constantly educating ourselves and our, everyone else about mm. the benefits of this, it can just, and it often does, just turn into a, a financial thing. It's like another, just another thing. Oh, okay. And there's some of the vulture capitalists specialise in taking over other companies and buying them at a, a smaller price, doing them up a bit and then selling them at a bigger price mm. or just taking them apart and selling them for parts, like a wrecker. Um, and they got their eyes on co-ops because they, they found they could get them cheap. If they could convince everybody in the co-op to stop being a co-op and become a company, then they could buy them. And this is called demutualising or carpet bagging. So over time, a lot mm. of these big insurance mutuals and, mm. and even the little ones have, have wound up demutualising and just selling off for a short-term gain. Um, a lot of them haven't too, which is great, but I think that education part of it is, is, is pretty pretty important. Mm. But with something like food, you're going to be pretty connected to it. It's mm. also the way you design your co-op. Is it actually better for you to be in the co-op than it is to not? Is it going to be cheaper and is it going to be more fun? Is it going to provide community for you? So mm. these are more elements that you uh, that you need to have. So the the element of community. I mean, people. Oh, sorry, I was on multi-stakeholder. I went on a ramble there, <laughs> as I do. Wow, Scotty yes. went on a ramble. What yes, a surprise! Weird, isn't it? <laughs> oh well, could be worse. Could be worse. <laughs> so the customers and the workers will both own the co-op. Um, and that'll be farm workers and also support workers in the other in the other enterprises. So you know we'll have an accounting enterprise which will look after all of the other enterprises. You, and and it can go anywhere. If we decide, well, wouldn't it be nice to have a cafe to sell all of the stuff that we're producing at these nine or ten farms that we have now? That's an enterprise, no mm. problem. Who wants to do it? If you've got the interest, then let's set it up. We'll support it. It'll have, you know, um, support on the business side of things. How do you do it? How do you set it up? Oh, no, don't do that. That could be a real problem for your cash flow, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, so it's got business support. And this is all coming out of Mondragon. Mondragon's done this quite well through their credit union, the Cajal Laboral, and that was how they've become so, so this, um, successful is, over there. Is this the um, the big cooperative movement in Spain? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so a multi-stakeholder co-op just means that there's – a lot of different owner types and they all have different rights and responsibilities to the, the actual co-op itself as a whole. Um, community supported agriculture is another one. Now this is a scheme where 
a bunch of customers will essentially subscribe to a farmer and they'll guarantee that that farmer, even if the locusts come or the hail comes and their crop fails, they've paid up front and that season at least will have the income and it's, the risk goes on to the, the customers essentially rather than the farmer um, so that if everything goes horribly wrong, the farmer will do their level best to give the customers as much as they possibly can but you know, in the end, if it's a bad season, at least you've still got a farmer next year. Um, so it, it does actually over time work quite well for both parties. So this will be the, the centre of it and um, so our customers, when you become a member, you become part of the CSA and that provides a little bit of a basic income for farmers as well so that when they're starting up their enterprise, there's a little bit there. Um, we'll just leave it to the farmers on each site to, to work out exactly how that all gets distributed amongst themselves um, and <laughs> using some of these other regenerative culture methods that should take a lot of the friction out of that sort of thing. Um, so that's part of it. The other thing that you'll have to do when you become a, a customer member is, and this comes from the Cote Jardins volunteering system in France, they've got a, a great little community farm out there, and you have to commit to spending, I think in, the, in their model, it's four Sundays a year working on the farm so they've got i think 200 members so that means that there's every weekend there's a big work gang of sure they're unexperienced they're, they're not may not be knowledgeable but they can come and crash a big job like weeding or something mm. on the farm and you know as time goes on they become more experienced and better workers so mm. and, and that makes it more interesting for the those members too because they're actually seeing the place where the food's growing and learning how it's growing, I imagine. I mean, that would be Absolutely, an advantage yeah, yeah, for yep, a lot of yep. people to have that. You know, those of us who are completely disconnected from growing food. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it's true. And, and people often, like one of the most asked questions I've had is how can I just volunteer? I don't have any money, but I've got lots of time. How do I get into the model without any money? And here this provides a point where those people who do have the time to put in and work for their food because providing work is the same as paying money mm. maybe even more valuable those people can work for various different enterprises and when the weekend comes and this big gang of people show up those people who've been going across enterprises they will have the knowledge of what can be done here oh we really need to do this over here we'll bring the gang over here so those people can sort of direct the, the big mm. crash gangs um, yeah, yeah. So, so Scotty, you mentioned something about a meeting on Monday. What a meeting that? on Monday, yes, yes. So the uh, Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, or Co-Canberra, meets on the last Monday of every month at 7 o'clock at the Food Co-op down on Childers Street. Um, we, do, we do all sorts of things. The, the meeting's not an organising meeting. We don't have an agenda and sit down and argue about fine detail points. What the meetups are is uh, it's a, a way of just educating yourself about cooperatives, about community development, about what we're doing. It's, um, so we've, we've done all sorts of things. Last month we ran a couple of community development exercises, which were quite fun, um, back in... September, I think it was, we did our last regenerative farming um, one. Um, and, yeah, we've, we've done housing. We had um, 
healthcare. We had the National Health Co-op in and uh, the Cooperative Life from Sydney um, in to do a talk. And mm-hmm. we cover all sorts of stuff. So it's actually a, a fun night. You can come out and, and learn a whole lot of stuff, ask questions from the actual horse's mouth and, and learn cool things. Um, yeah. yeah. So and this, um, this Monday... We'll be going through these things in more detail. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, so this coming Monday, you'll be specifically looking at this... At the community farming, uh, how yes. do you, what, how do you describe it? Community farming is that the right word? Oh, Urban look, the working farm. title. I've got two working titles: is farm art, which is the art of farming, <laughs> and you know, it's like a supermarket. It's a farm art, <laughs> but yeah. So you know, that's my pun version, or community-owned farming enterprise, or coffee. Um, so I don't know, but I think we probably need better names than those. Um, yeah, so. The other thing that we'll be asking people to do is our, our final little round of, um, of, of input. Um, we'd like people to come along to just have a think about what a cooperative could do for them that's not happening around. Um, like what would be a benefit that you would want as either you could be as a business or an individual, doesn't matter. Just write down maybe one or two top things that you'd actually like a cooperative in the food sector to provide. Mm. Um, and then we can, yeah, gather those ideas and maybe work on them. Yeah. So I could give you one right now, Scott. Yeah, yeah, please do. I'm interested watching the fires and the floods and the droughts that we have with climate change and, you know, we'll have more of those and the massive impact these have on our farmers personally but also on our food supplies. And I'm wondering if models like this and having lots of different ways of growing food in lots of different places might be a better way to go moving forward rather than having big centralised areas that are quite vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, look, I reckon you're right. And the way the other part of the enterprise stacking model is is that it allows land to be designed and used to its full extent mm. if you look at a, a, a what they call them a climax ecosystem there's stuff everywhere there's life all over the place it's all interweaving it's all giving each other that poo and you know it, it's great i oh, shouldn't labor that point anymore really sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i just thought of it so it's, it's all new and exciting but i probably sound like I'm money obsessed. is poo uh, <laughs> everyone's got that in their head now <laughs> well poo is money sorry I yeah. long way around <laughs> nah i go the other way um but what enterprise stacking allows is is there's a there's a, a real problem with the ownership model of land that we use in that you'll generally a farm is owned by a couple unless it's a corporation but say it's owned by a couple they will move on to the farm they're really keen to do some farming they'll get busy and they'll go as hard as they can doing one or two or three if they're lucky and running out of steam and getting really tired and mm-hmm. you can go there and go, oh wouldn't this be good to do this over here and they're like are you kidding i don't have time or energy like mm-hmm. i am totally flat out um so in this model you can walk in and go oh wouldn't it be good to do this over there and everyone else would go oh yeah cool how's it going to fit in with all of our stuff mm-hmm. and so you have a look through an ecological design of where the waste flows are and the energy flows and can we double up on doing this and and you fit it in so that it's a complementary part of the system. Mm. And each proposed enterprise that comes in gets sorted into the system. And in this way, you might wind up with all sorts of things. I mean, the sky's the limit. Yeah. There's um, no waste in nature. No, Absolutely. that's right. And until we introduce toxins, yeah. mm. there still wasn't. So if we just leave the toxins alone, 
we can go back to no waste and that'll be easy enough. Yeah. Mm. So, Scotty, this is, uh, is an idea in the beginning phase, is that fair to say? And, and so you're looking for input of ideas into it as well? or Yeah, interest? we're looking for two things. Is, is, this is sort of, we've got probably enough ideas, but we want to do one more little round of collecting ideas. Now we're putting forward these major ingredients and we, we're going to need people to, to bring it forth. Um, I can't do it on my own, obviously. We're going to need a little team of people, or a big team ideally, mm. who can actually just put in a little bit. The more people, the less you have to put in. Put in a bit to organise it, get it sort of into a, a functional on-the-ground model and then just start and start making mistakes because mm. um, that's how we're going to get it done. And, you know, you look at... <laughs> Look at what's going on. It's crazy, you know. That we've had, you know, we all know someone who was evacuated from the coast. About a third of the ACT mm -hmm. burned, along with like something like 18 million hectares all along the eastern seaboard. Oh, the Darling River died this year. We've broken records for temperatures, heat waves. We had really bad air quality. There's glaciers. But like, things are happening. We have to do this now. We mm -hmm. can't sit on our ass and go... Oh, no, it's all right. The government will do it. Or, no, business will come and, and bring a solution. We can't wait for that. We have to do it now. And it's just a change of imagination. It's a change of, of the way we look at it mm -hmm. so that we can reorganise and just paying our bills. We're already paying bills. So we've got a whole lot of money that we're paying bills. All we have to do is form organisations that take those bills and then we own those organisations. So we, we begin paying our bills to ourselves, which means we own the profits, we can determine what the profits are, and we direct those profits to good things instead of bad things. Mm. We, wanna, we want the goods, we don't want the bads. Mm. And at the moment, feeding the billionaires through all of these corporations is providing the bads in a massive emergency scale. So mm. these are climate co-ops. They're all, each one is dedicated to doing something to to reducing the, the climate crisis and also the biodiversity crisis and all these other ones. Yeah. Mm. So, yes, yes, that's this Monday, 7 o'clock at the Food Co-op. And if you want to um, if you want to look up our website, it's a, it's a bit of a basic website. If anyone knows how to do wikis, we'd love to hear from you. So that's a good start. Oh, uh, we have, we have someone many, 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 many uh, volunteering opportunities. Mm. Um, mm. And if we can figure out in time how to get those positions paid, then we'll, we'll do that. But uh, mm. just put your thinking cap on <laughs> in the meantime. Um, what was the website? cocambra.org.au. Okay. Yeah. That sounds great. Well... That's been a pretty full-on program, hasn't it? We've gone from looking at our individual carbon diets and how and our fa families' diets and how we can really um, make a big impact or, let's say, reduce our existing impact. I was going to say make a big impact on our impact, but that doesn't quite work, does it? <laughs> um, well, well, these then, sorts of things actually can make an impact yeah, on your impact. When yeah. you've, you've done your carbon diet and you've made all those little individual mm -hmm. changes... Mm -hmm. The next step, or even the first step, mm. is to get together and amplify all of that mm. by doing it yourself, by mm. creating the, the systems that make mm. it really easy and even fun to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 